Today I'm joined by Jeff Schwartz, who's a founding partner of Deloitte Consulting's Future of Work Practice. We're going to be discussing his new book, Work Disrupted, Opportunity, Resilience and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work, which is being published by Wiley and is now available. Jeff, I'd like to start off, if I may, by first welcoming you and asking if you could share a bit with our audience about what exactly the new era of accelerated change means. Of course. Um, Nicola, it's really great to be with you and, and your listeners. In 2020, we were all thrown into what Amory Slaughter, the president of the New America Foundation, a think tank in Washington, I think aptly called a time machine to the future. And with the coronavirus, things that many of us thought might take five or 10 years actually seem to transpire in, in uh, five to 10 weeks, in some cases in, in five days, because we were forced to really pivot very, very quickly. We've all been following the future of work trends over the last decade, how people work with machines, how workforces are moving from employees way beyond employee models, how workplace has been blown up. It's been moved from a place to a way of working on technology. But what we saw in 2020, and I think what we're seeing in 2021, is the need to really adapt to new ways of working. As we're getting started, I'll, I'll start with one of my my other favorite quotes that really helped shapes this thinking about the accelerated future and the need for new maps. Albert Einstein once said, you can't use an old map to explore a new world. And I think, although a lot of people are trying to do that right now, I think that's the challenge that we have in thinking about 21st century work and careers, which we've all been thrust into in 2020. 2020 made all of us futurists in the sense that we all saw elements of the future that we expected might take several years, and we saw them very, very quickly in the spring and summer, depending on where you, which hemisphere you were in, in 2020. Yeah, can I ask you, when we talk about reframing how we face the future, what exactly does that mean? Because as you say, in 2020, we started to understand that it's all happening very fast. And we started to get these fragments, you know, these insights of understanding in relation to AI and other issues. But what does reframe mean when you don't actually know exactly what you're facing? Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. This is really, I think, the essence of both my book and I think what we are all trying to explore right now. And I, I like the I like the notion of um, how do we put together the fragments of what we are seeing. William Gibson, uh, also a very famous futurist, said about 15 years ago that the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. And I propose a corollary to that. I'll call it Schwartz's corollary to Gibson's law, which is that the future comes at us in accelerated bursts. And, and 2020 was one of those bursts. And what I mean by reframing is when we think about what is work, how people work with machines, who is an employee, what is a workplace, 
what is a career? How are organizations structured? What do managers do? By the way, these are all questions in the book, right? We come at them with a mental model. We come at them with some type of an internal map. Most of these maps, most of these frames are firmly rooted in the 20th century, right? I got my MBA in 1987. And if you think about what management education and what management uh, was about in the 20th century, it was largely an extension of scientific management and Frederick Taylor. It's, you know, we spent a century or more optimizing workflow and processes to achieve mass production and mass scale that was largely driven by a workflow optimization strategy. Manage costs, make it bigger, squeeze out the role of, of human error and human ingenuity in a, in a funny way. In the 21st century, which maybe really is starting in, in 2020 and 2021, it's always about optimization and workflow. But the frame is shifting from cost to value and meaning. The frame is shifting from a substitution strategy where we are looking to replace people with machines to an augmentation and a collaboration strategy. We call this super teams. How can we combine people and teams and technology to actually do new work in new ways? That's a reframe. The, mm -hmm. the old frame for, you know, and we're very familiar in technology and labor is the robot apocalypse, right? The robots are coming for our jobs. The new frame is super teams, people and machines working together. Renaissance radiologists, which I can go through as an example. How do, how do healthcare workers partner with the technology so that they can spend more time on the things that humans can uniquely do deeply? And in the case of medicine and healthcare, deep care would be an example of that. So that's what I mean by reframing. And we have the opportunity now to ask the question, what frame are we applying? Are we applying a 20th century view of work, workforces, workplaces, careers and management, or a 21st century view? Yes, thank you for that. And once one has the frame in place and the, the basics are there, what sort of questions do people then ask? Because is half of this knowing what questions to ask? Is that part of the challenge? There's probably three elements of this. There are the initial frames and the questions. Work, workforce, workplace, I think is the initial frame. There are the understanding the implications of this. And these are all pretty much in some way organization implications. What does it mean for career and career progressions? What does it mean for organizational strategies and what does it mean for management? And then finally, how do we put these ideas into action? How do I apply these mental models in my life as an individual? How do I apply them as a business and an organization leader? And then how do we apply them as citizens and members of communities? What are the mental models that I need to take on as an individual? And, and in the new world of work, there's a lot of responsibility that we have as individuals, maybe more than we would like. And then we have some stories and reflections from some of the 25 people, experts, policymakers, 
business leaders, educators around the world that we interviewed, what's their advice for us as individuals, business leaders, and citizens and communities? Okay. And if I might go back to the issue of questions, are these questions that we all have to be asking? Are these questions that the HR department is going to be leading? Are these questions that are going to become part of the culture of the organization to ask more questions? I, I say this because there's so much new coming in that it seems that the key is, as, as we discussed before, what are the questions and, and how to ask them? Is there a particular area of the business that should be responsible for this shifting perspective? Or is it something that we all need to be living and breathing? No, uh, Nicola, I love this question. And um, when we were writing the book, we, we had what I will call spirited discussions with the publishers, not necessarily Wiley, but some of the other publishers, book agents that we were talking with, who is the audience for this book? And, and um, if anybody who's ever published a book will know that one of the things that publishers want is they want a very clearly defined audience. Like, who are we marketing this to? And we said, well, we think we are answering questions for two audiences. We are answering questions for business. And when I say organization, I mean public policy, not for profit leaders, for, for people who are leading and managing organizations, including HR leaders because they need this new set of mental models. They need this new way of navigating um, in the future. But we were also writing a book that we were hoping would be interesting to people who were trying to make sense of the new world of work from a personal perspective. I have two daughters. My daughters are 26 and 29. From one sense, from one perspective, I was writing, I wrote a book for people in their 20s, people starting their careers, so that they would have a sense, at least one view of what a few people think about what the journey ahead looks like for careers and work. So it is, it's a business book. It's for business leaders, obviously, including HR leaders. But it's also a book that we hope is useful for people who are trying to navigate their own personal path forward in this future of work. And, and I'll, I'll give one other brief example of that. One of the things I talk about in, in, the, uh, in the book is earlier in my career, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I taught math and science at a rural high school in, in Nepal. And I did a fair amount of mountain hiking there and trekking. So when I, when I was uh, in Nepal, I learned the difference between a, a Sherpa, a mountain climber, and a, a porter. A porter are the, are the men and women who carry our goods up and down the mountain in baskets, and we're extremely grateful for them. They work very hard. A mountain climber was me. I, when I went to the Annapurna base camp, I, I was going to go once. Um, and I went and I had a Sherpa and he was our, my guide and he knew the territory because Sherpas are, they live on the mountains. They're from the ethnic tribes who are, who are from the region. They know what the journey is like. If you are traveling in a place like Nepal, it's really helpful to have a sense as to what the journey is. If I'm going from point A to point B, am I going across four mountains and three rivers or one mountain and one river? Hmm. Yeah. Right. And the reason I use this example is if you think that your career is I get education and training, I get a job, I get into a career ladder, and I retire 30 years later, 
By the way, that's one mountain and one river. Right? <laughs> okay, right? Right? And then if you start the journey, you find out, well, it's not one. It's not one hill. It's not one mountain. It's five. It's six. And if we reflect on the work of Linda Gratton and Andrew Scott, who wrote their wonderful book, The 100-Year Life and the follow-up, young people today, all of us today, we may work for 50 or 60 years. We may have 12 or 14 different jobs and careers. The average time in a job is three or four years. The half-life of a learned skill is dropping five years and less. So what does the journey look like? Is the journey a dozen careers and jobs, or is it one or two careers and jobs? And that's what I mean. That's what I like about the the notion of a Sherpa, which is we need to prepare ourselves for a different kind of journey in working careers than we were thinking about when I was born in the 1950s. So I'll date myself a little bit here. A different kind of journey. Yes, so true. And at a time when there is enormous uncertainty, I think it's it's great that the book is going to be something that is going to appeal to a, a wide audience because it's really important right now, as you say, to have a roadmap, uh, to know that, yes, it's going to be different, but it's going to be okay. And more than that, uh, as, as we all know, there are enormous opportunities that will unwrap. At the same time, we do have to take into consideration the, the concerns and anxieties that people have about AI and the robotics and, and, and so on. So, so clearly your, your book is, is perfectly timed. So you interviewed uh, around 25 people for the book. Is there anyone in particular who really stood out? Well, Nicola, the interviews were really one of the highlights of, of writing a book. It's a lot of hard work to write a book, although I do recommend it. People were very generous with their with their time. But but I think one interview and one discussion that, that really sticks out for me was the interview we did with uh, Lewis Hyman. Lewis is a professor at the Industrial and Labor Relations School at Cornell University. And he wrote a fantastic book that came out, I think about a year ago, called Temp, uh, the history of of the temporary workforce, which, as he points out, I'll summarize his book in a line, didn't start with gig workers and platforms that actually started right after the, the Second World War. And as we were finishing the, the discussion with, with Lewis, we asked him the question, so Lewis, what do you think employment models are going to look like in 2030? And he stopped and we were listening. And he said, that's a really important question because it's not a question of what necessarily are the trends. This is not something that is preordained. The future of work, in this case, the future of the workforce, is a set of choices. We have choices around what the future of work is going to mean and how it's going to be structured. Right? And that, to me, is one of, the, one of the biggest takeaways as we're thinking about what's next. Is the future accelerated? Yes. Is it disrupted? Yes. Will people and machines be working together very closely? But we are, need to decide and design how people and technology will work together. We need to decide together how we will combine and make the economic value and the social values, if you will, for people who have a full-time job and a gig job how do we make all the work that people do work with dignity and quality 
and support. So this this is a this to me really resonated, which is we have choices, and that's one of the big themes of uh, the book Work Disrupted. It's not easy, but it's not preordained. There's something so positive about that, isn't it? It's empowering. I have the right to make a decision. I have the right to say no. I have the right to choose this path and not that path. But but it, that is the point that we have a set of choices and we're at an important point in time where there is a window to make these choices. But if we don't ask the right questions and do our diligence and research and understand where we're at, then we're not going to be in the best position to make the most important and empowered choices at the time they have to be made. Would that be right? I think that's very much right. And you learned a little bit about me in this discussion today. I, I love reading and quotes and data. And and one of my favorites, you know, it's it's early 2021. Google does something every year. They do what they call the um, Google Trends. These are the top Google searches of 2020. Look, you don't have to be brilliant to know that pandemic and COVID-19 were, were the top search terms in 2020. But twice as many people searched how to change the world in 2020, then searched how to go back to normal. And, and I'm going to use that as an indicator that we are ready to change the world. We are ready for this period of reimagination, this period of re-architecting work, what one of my colleagues calls preferred futures. It's a lot of hard work. And right now we're pivoting from responding and recovering from the pandemic, from a health crisis, an economic crisis, and and in, certainly in the U.S. and other parts of the world, a social crisis, into what we call the, the movement from a surviving mindset to a thriving mindset. And to thrive, this I love this notion that twice as many people think we need to change the world as think that we need to go back to the normal that we had before. Indeed. I was having a look at some of the testimonials that you've had for, from the book and a couple jumped out at me. One was Dave Ulrich uh, talking about how marvellous the book is as a roadmap for this new world of work and very clear signposts for that. So I, I think that's key at a time where people are looking for exactly this sort of guidance. The other one that I was struck by was from Linda Gratton. And she, she said, as the future of work becomes the new normal, finding navigation tools will be crucial. Here again, it makes a lot of sense to me, the approach that you've taken for this book and the fact that it's not just one for HRDs or CEOs, CIOs, but it's, it's one for, for everybody. So I'd like to thank you very much indeed, Jeff, for joining us here today to, to talk about Work Disrupted, uh, Opportunity, Resilience and Growth in the Accelerated Future of Work. Now, it's being published by Wiley. What's the best way for people to get hold of a copy of the book? Thanks, Nicola. Well, the best way, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is to go to... I guess in the world we're living, your your online bookseller, and I think most of the online booksellers around the world have it. Um, you can also go to Deloitte.com and look up Work Disrupted, and you'll be able to find information on where to order the book 
there as well, and also some of the other research that we have at Deloitte. Thank you, Nicole. It's been a great conversation today. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you.